Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL. Welcome to a Monday night here in the studio. Of course, uh, most of the live interviews since January have been on Tuesday nights. Uh, but uh, to accommodate the one and only Roger Ingram, we set it for tonight and uh, we're going to have some fun tonight, Roger. This is, this is going to be a treat. Um, so I want to let everybody know, uh, of course, you can go to studiohfl.com and sign up there for the newsletter. You can also go there for merchandise, We've got t-shirts, hats, um, all that cool stuff you can check out there. Uh, of course, interviews on SoundCloud and Apple and any other podcast platforms. And of course, the YouTube channel is got has got all of the video uh, components there. Uh, sponsors, I don't have a sponsor for this month, but I do wanna mention uh, those that have been faithful for these live interviews, of course, Trent Austin and Austin Custom Brass. Uh, AustinCustomBrass.biz and ChopSaver, of course, Dan Gosling and uh, ChopSaver, ChopSaver.com. So thanks to those guys for sponsoring uh, a really generous portion of these interviews. So I, I tried to do that as fast as possible, Roger. Oh, you, you know, I think you're doing great. Okay, you, so you, you look marvelous. It's like you... It's like you're about half the size I remember you being, you know, and it's well, like, well, congratulations on that. You know, it's like what, what, a, what a positive uh, direction you're going as far as healthcare is concerned. I think that's fantastic. Thanks. Well, you know, I tell people, people kept saying they wanted to see less of me. And so I took them literally. <laughs> Maybe I misunderstood exactly what they meant on that. No, you didn't misunderstand that at all. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Roger, before we get to uh, what's going on today, just a reminder that you and I met. I was trying to figure this out today. It was like five, six years ago maybe even seven, down at the University of Indianapolis. You had come through Indy for a jazz uh, festival oh, or something. It's 10 years ago. Oh, it hasn't not been, it's not been that long. You gotta, re you gotta remember that five years ago, it was 2016 when the, uh, <laughs> you know, when the presidential okay. the election and all that was going on. Oh yeah, that's right, it, it was it, way it, before it, that. It was way before that. Oh my gosh. It was like, we're talking about probably 2011, 2012. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. Yeah, it's but, twice as long ago as you thought. Oh my gosh, well, you know, I guess, uh, welcome to my 50s. Right? And you're supposed to be the one with the great memory, man. <laughs> Wait, what are we talking about? Huh? Yeah, right? <laughs> Well, you know, that was uh, shiny things. That was uh, <laughs> right. That was <laughs> that was a lot of fun though. You know, I of course uh, like most people had gotten to know you through Harry Connick Jr.'s band and those recordings and to finally get to meet you was great. The masterclass was great, but then the best part of that was I booked a lesson with you immediately after. Yeah, I I I totally remember the whole thing. Vicky and I drove down to Indianapolis. I had only been living here for about three years and and i didn't move to illinois until 2008 so oh, that wow. would make it 2011. now i've already been here for 13 years now you know but mm -hmm. yeah and at the time you had me going down the thing i was currently doing was harry connick jr's big band mm -hmm. but i had that was just the the last thing i had done after about 35 years being on the road you know yeah so, so we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about that, but right now you, you were telling me right before we went live about this uh, about the morning you had a really cool project uh, that's going on with Warburton. Want to tell well, me about it? You know that uh, for a while I I did mute restorations because I started just restoring my own because I like the sound of the old vintage mutes, the classics, you know. Mm -hmm. 
And then I would bring them on to gigs and people say, hey, where'd you get that mute? That looks like a brand new Ray Robinson. I said, oh, well, I restored it. And, he, and then people were, well, could you restore one for me? And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. So I ended up doing, it, it got out of hand. I mean, I did two for Chuck Finley. I did a couple for Wayne Bergeron. I did three for Doc Severinsen. I just it started going and going and going and going and going to the point to where it's a very tedious process and it takes a lot of, you know, work with your hands to do this, the restorations correctly, you know? And it was starting to get in the way of gigs and teaching mm -hmm. and I had to stop doing it. I just couldn't do it anymore. So I told Vicky, and I started a little company, a little online, a little website, mm -hmm. Mute Meister, you know, and it was mm -hmm. like, it was, and it was a lot of fun until it got to be too much. And then, so I said, Vicky, I just, I said, I can't do this anymore because it's starting to get in the way of a lot of things. So my wife being uh, very, very good with finances and everything. I mean, she's got a master's degree from the University of Chicago in economic forecasting. You know, I mean, she's really good at stuff. She said, instead of just dumping the whole thing, let's move forward. And why don't you design a line of trumpet mutes and let's have someone manufacture and distribute the mutes. Well, I've known Terry Warburton since the 70s when I first... When I was in Toronto with Tom Jones in 1976, and the, the spring on my water key failed on one of the gigs. And so all the Canadian cats in the trumpet section would say, well, you got to go see this guy, Terry Warburton. He's got a little shop downtown. So I met Terry Warburton. I've known him for that long. And Terry Warburton, he's grown and grown and grown, and he's he moved he moved to the States, and he's got a place in Florida. And he's very open-minded about uh, inventing things. and. Mm -hmm not just mouthpieces. He's got a whole line of trumpets out now and mutes and everything. So I was thinking, I, I, I waited until the Midwest uh, uh, conference in 2016. And I, I said, Hey, Terry, how you doing? And he came over to the house and I showed him what I was doing with mutes. And I said, and what I'd like you to do is manufacture a line of trumpet mutes for me and mm -hmm. distribute them. And we worked out a deal. And he said, sure. And so we started this Mute Meister line. We uh, did a uh, cup mute that sounds like a cross between an old Shastock tonal color, you know, the, the metal one that adjusts, mm -hmm. and an old Ray Robinson cup. And cosmetically, it looks like a Ray Robinson cup, but it's not supposed to be an exact duplicate of that. It's a cross between those two as far as mm -hmm. sound is concerned. And um, a Shastock straight mute and a Shastock uh solo tone which we call the show tone and he manufactured those and we we tested prototypes and went back and forth back and forth after about six months i finally settled on three that i was really happy with and i approved it and we, they went into production and they we sell a whole bunch of them they just keep on flying off the shelf down there in in mims florida you know mm -hmm. so that was uh six years ago now we've come out with the second round of trombone mutes, a cup, a solo tone type of mute, and a straight mute. Mm -hmm. The same three that we make for trumpet. And Andy Baker and Luke Malevich here, who are two of the top jazz tenor trombone players here in town, 
uh, have been, I've, uh, you know, asked them to be the people who play test the trombone music. I mean, I own a valid trombone, but mm-hmm. I wanted to have some real right. trombone players. Right. I mean, I can tell, you know, if it's, you know, right. but uh, these cats are just the greatest, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, we got some great elite trombone players here in town. Mm-hmm. Steve Duncan and Russ Phillips and Tim Kaufman and, of course, Andy and Luke. So this morning they were over at the house uh, play testing the second round of prototypes from Warburton, and I think we've settled on three. Nice. So I haven't even told Kim and Terry that yet. I haven't <laughs> because I and then I had a session today, and then I I had an online student, and I just got back here, and I've been playing all day, you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, um, I I have to get on the phone with Kim and Terry and say I think we got the ones, you know. Yeah. So uh, if they're here watching, you know, it's like so, so that was today. So okay, it, yeah, I've seen some charts that say Robinson mute. So for those, and I'll you mean, include my. You mean, you mean in the orchestral world? No, no, and and some big band charts. Oh yeah, they're they're talking about Ray Robinson mutes. So okay, what what is so distinct about those mutes that you couldn't just? Eh, I'll just use you know a uh, a uh, uh, Shastock. Well, it, it, because some people request Shastock too. It, it has a lot to do with the material used and the the, the uh, dimensions of the mute. And the, the characteristics of, of each one of those mutes. Now, really great composers took the time and the energy to listen to brass players playing different makes of mutes back in the early uh, 20th century, the early mm-hmm. 1900s. And, and depending on the composer, you'll see Shastock. They'll specify what mute to use. Sometimes they'll just say Crown Royal Bag. You know, like right. when you do uh, the uh, uh, American, American in Paris, right? It's and some uh, versions of it say Crown Royal, and some uh, other versions say Felt Bag, but they want you to put that Crown Royal bag over your belt. That's what they want. And so, th- those composers were so great that they, they were so into what they heard in their head and they wanted it to be just right. They actually got the know, even if they weren't a brass player, they got the know. Mm-hmm. The manufacturers of certain mutes to get the right sound. And Shastock's mutes, they had a very unique sound. And, and he was such a great, I mean, he was a, a tool and got, die guy, you know, mm-hmm. and an inventor. And Guy Humes made the uh, Ray Robinson mute line before he partnered with Willie Berg. Mm-hmm. And then they uh, became Humes and Berg. And that happened in the 40s. But Guy Humes, in his home on the south side of Chicago, he was manufacturing mutes. Him and his wife were making them in the basement of his house, and they started the whole Ray Robinson line. They had the mellow wah, and they had the straight mute, and they had uh, the uh, the cup mute, you know, the iconic cup mute. And then um, the same year that Shastock sold out to Micro Products and made a deal for them to keep on using his name. I'm sure he got royalties. And he, that was after he, he was uh, very good with uh, chemical compounds. And he was the first person to make the, the first non, non animal skin drum head, which mm-hmm. basically became what Remo, it makes it from now. And when he patented that, 
He sold the mute line to micro products and Lewis Shasak just disappeared. I mean, I mean, he was making so much bread off the, of what he had, had invented with the first non animal skin drum head, you know, Roger, how the heck do you know all this stuff? Because I, mean, I and, 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 and this is important, you know, it's like, I, I had no idea we were going to talk about this, but this is like, yeah. I can't imagine anywhere else that you know, anybody discusses this. Thing to me. He says, I, 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 I never saw that in you. I couldn't, can't believe you were ever, well, I was always good with my hands. My mother was a seamstress and my father had a, a, a great mechanical aptitude. He was, and he worked with things, you know. And I guess I inherited that. I didn't know I could do it either. And, and anything I do, I really get into it. And I did mm -hmm. all the research and I found out, I even looked up the old uh, birth certificates and where these guys came from. <laughs> and, and, you know, just the whole history of the, the mute thing. And But I couldn't do it anymore because what yeah. I, and my first love is is being a musician and playing the trumpet and doing the mutes was getting right. Away. So now, now, you know, when the pandemic happened, I did it again. But now everything's opened up and I'm yeah. I'm, I'm busier than I anticipated. So I, that you can't you can't uh, send me money to restore mute everything. We got rid of that PayPal link. You know, it's like. So the last time I was at your house, it's been a couple of years, but the last time I was there, you showed me this this cardboard box full of uh, headphones. You had found these vintage yeah. headphones, right? Um, it, MGM, uh, Wes, uh, uh, let's see, um, I got one of them around here. And you were restoring those too, right? It wasn't Westinghouse, it was, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's these, these headphones. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And they're great for click track. Mm-hmm. They're great for a click track and they're ba Bakelite and they're, uh, they're, uh, I got an old, a box of a whole bunch of used ones from MGM and then I rewired them and put new, uh, rubber on them. And, and I sold those for a while until I ran out of them because I only got so many of them. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, you know, so, but I kept one for me and that's what I still use when I, when I go into the recording studio. Yeah. And sometimes I do things with click track. And uh, it's a gives a great click sound, and I like just one side. You know, they go on like like mm -hmm. that, and they're real comfortable. I can have this on my head for hours, and doesn't bother me. Yeah. And sometimes, even in in the early days, when I would be in a recording studio, studio, they give you two sided ones. Mm -hmm. It was always falling off. In fact, one time it fell off, and it made a whole bunch of noise. We had to redo the take because <laughs> of it. So as I said, I got to find something else to do. Now a lot of guys. Um, I talked to my friend Dan Fernero, and I think Wayne Bergeron, you, they like in-ears now. A lot of people have an in-ears done, and that's yep. a consideration where they, you know, they put a mold in there, and they get just the shape of your ear, and they like using in-ear microphones. But, you know, I kind of like the old, you know, Bakelite. It's just so cool to have an old one on my head like that. That's from, like, you know, the 30s, you know, from classic Hollywood. Yeah, but you know that's the draw of those mutes too, right? It's not just that they sound good; it's that's such a classic look for those mutes. Oh yeah, right. But I'm not in the recording studio for a photo shoot, you know. Yeah, yeah. Although, you should be. I, I end up with a lot of photos because my wife is, comes everywhere with me, and she takes mm -hmm. pictures of everybody in the studio. And I, yeah, 
And so I got something to put up on Facebook and say, hey, look, I'm over at Palisade Studios again, you know, and with so, Doug Harp and you know, those guys. I, I want to follow up earlier. You mentioned Vicki has a, a master's in, in economics. What'd she say? Economic forecasting. She got that. That's her third master's degree, and, and, it, and she got that from the University of Chicago. Every trumpet player should have should marry somebody uh, with that, right? I mean, trumpet players were notorious for not being great with money, right? <laughs> well, you know, I I actually did pretty good. It's, it's you yeah. know, even though during those thirty five years I was out on the road, I was young and I, and I was single, and I wasn't really grounded because I get I lived a lot of different places, and I was always going. I, I actually uh, ate well and I saved my money. Oh. Yeah, and then uh, Vicky did the same. She she was a consultant for years uh, in Washington D.C. and Chicago, and so we're okay, you know. Nice. And, and uh, but believe me, she knows way more about that than I do. And and uh, it, whenever there's a question about anything having to do with finances, I default to her opinion about that, you know, because yeah. I'm I'm interested in like you know mutes and headphones and trumpets right. and stuff you know so i i yeah. let her take care of that which i'm fine with that yeah so tell me what's going on in the studios these days well you know um today by the way today is the um, record release of the joshua jern jazz orchestra his new record called lockdown all right. And and I play lead trumpet on this and we uh, recorded it during the pandemic. That's why it's called lockdown. And mm. today is the official release date of that record. And uh, so that that's today. Joshua Jern, he's a great writer. He's a great trumpet player. In fact, we work every Thursday night together at the Green Mill with the Alan Grasick uh, Orchestra. Give me the uh, I'm going to put this in the notes here. Give me the spelling of that. Joshua Jern. Joshua Jern, J-E-R-N. J-E-R-N. And uh, the album is called Lockdown. Here, here it is right here. Today is the release date of this album. Okay. And uh, we did another album about three years ago. We did this one together. It was called the uh, Midnight Stroll. Now, we did this one at Palisades, the same place mm -hmm. where we've been doing the thing with uh, Mark Tremonti. Mm -hmm. And um, which is the old Tone Zone studio, which is where we did all the Mantooth records in the early 90s, you know. And uh, so that's the release for today. And if you ask me what's coming up, uh, Thursday is the uh, record release party for this record that <laughs> was released last fall. Yeah. And it was released on my record company, One Two Tree Records. That's O N E T O O T R E E Records. And uh, we recorded this one at Electrical Audio a month before the pandemic started. And uh, we were um, able to release this last fall. And it's gotten great reviews in Downbeat Magazine and Jazz Times. And we had to delay the the release party until this coming Thursday, and the it's going to be the party, the release party for that record for Pete's sake from the Pete Elman Big Band is um, at this place called the Venue, and it's in Aurora, Illinois, 
And it's Thursday, that's July 15th at 8 o'clock p.m. And the address is 21 South Broadway in Aurora. And our special guest is going to be vocalist Isabella Isherwood. Okay, a wonderful vocalist. And that's for the release party for a record that was released last fall in October. And and the other thing about I want to say about Pete Elman's band is we just finished recording a Christmas CD again at Palisade Studios. It's like not all the studios have opened up mm -hmm. here since mm -hmm. pandemic, so Palisade is real busy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've done four projects there already this year since uh, you know the, everything started opening up, and this Christmas CD is is going to be called the Twelve Grooves of Christmas. Mm. And it was recorded June 15th and 16th at Palisade Studios. And uh, Carrie Deadman, a former lead trumpet player with Woody Herman's band and, and, a, and an alumni of uh, University of North Texas, he's the producer on the album. Mm -hmm. And that's also going to be released through my record company, One Two Tree Records. It's actually, the company is actually owned by me and Vicky. Mm -hmm. it's, it's our record company. And uh, we plan to release that record in mid-October because the first record did so well mm -hmm. that we decided let's go right back in the studio and do a right do a Christmas album, you know. And because I'm very associated with a few Christmas albums, yeah. Well, right, one or two that Carrie like, <laughs> did. And as much as I love those albums, as far as the ensemble work is concerned, this album that I just recorded with Beat Elm and Big Band may be the best Christmas album I've ever been on. And I played lead on every track, and we wrote, they wrote some really nice things that showcases everybody's abilities. So uh, we did that one, and uh, and there was one more thing that we did. And it was also at Palisade Studios. How far is this from your house? You have it's, to travel very far? It's in downtown Chicago. It's I, I take the streets there because it's actually easier. It's on Clybourne. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And and it's uh it's been there for years. It's it, it for a while it was after it after it stopped becoming the tone zone, it became decades. And, and when we did uh, this album, it was decades. Now it's Palisade, and it's the same studio. Did you record it's, Skyfall there? No, I recorded that um, at uh, Telefunken Studios in Connecticut. And that was uh, like six or seven years ago. Right. This session, I did one other session, and we just we did this uh, this year. It was for a, a local singer named Dave Sebaugh, S-E-A-B-A-U-G-H. And it was arranged, conducted, and I think produced by Kirk Garrison. You know Kirk, don't you? No. He's a wonderful trumpet player, been here in town forever. And we work a lot together, you know. And um, so it's like the studio thing has been pretty busy here for me. I, I had to actually, when I knew we were going to come on, I wanted to talk about a few things coming up. So I had to yeah. actually think hard to remember all the stuff <laughs> that I've actually, that's I've actually done this year, you know, and 
the bands are fabulous. You know, you got some great musicians here in Chicago. And well, you know, uh, I look at your I look at your online calendar, right? And that's one reason we're on here Monday night is because you're kind of busy I through the week. It's the only time I could do it. Yeah, but and I mean, you've you've got uh, are you still doing the brass band? Uh, the brass band, uh, I had to stop doing that four years ago because I got too busy for them. I thought because, you were still oh, okay. Well, and, and it's and I love doing that band. It's a traditional English style brass band, yeah. the uh, the Prairie Brass, uh, the Prairie uh, Brass Band of uh, Arlington Heights. Yeah. It was under the direction of Mary Gingrich, who's the the wife of one of the horn players with the CSO. She's also a horn player. You know, we're talking French horn here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, but uh, I think she just resigned from directing it. So I don't know who's involved with it right now. But uh, I enjoyed that band because I really got to, you know, there's there's a certain technical demands that are required to play right. with those brass bands, especially a traditional English style brass band. And it I really helped me bone up on my technique after being on the road with jazz bands all my life to get the cornet with, the, and I have right. an old New York Bach 11DW mouthpiece from the 30s. And I got, Jupiter makes a great, uh, cornet, a traditional style cornet with a shepherd's hook, and and I was one of the um, solo first cornet players in that yeah. band, and it's it's it was oh man, it was like playing the album book every day, and it, right. and uh, but then but it didn't pay anything, right? And it started interfering with uh, a lot of the other work I got, so I told and I and I started coming and going, and then hardly ever being there, right? And then they had competitions coming up and she wanted me to commit to being there for the competitions. And I couldn't because of, you know, right. You know, the right. bottom line is, is uh, making a living and paying the bills. So, right. Uh, I haven't been involved with that for a number of years, you know, but, uh, and, and, but I do, uh, you know, besides all, a lot of the big bands and the session work, I do hear um, I'm involved with two symphony orchestras where I play assistant principal trumpet, you know, uh, the Chicago Educators uh, sy Symphony Orchestra, mm -hmm. and also the, uh, the, uh, the uh, local, uh, the union has a, uh, <laughs> and, and we haven't done it for a year, and they have not gotten back to, well, the season doesn't start until the fall, so. Right. I do that. It's called the Chicago uh, Symphony Orchestra. Not that's not the CSO. It's a, yeah. it's been so long since we yeah. we have been there yeah. for like almost two years. I have to even think of the official name you of know, it. But it's another one that I do. I know? was at your house. Uh, you had just gotten a C trumpet. I don't know if it was from Jupiter. I don't know where you got it, but you had just gotten a C and just gotten a piccolo. Yeah. And and you know you were you were playing on this, and it, it this was really kind of funny. You know, it's, it's like you were you were walking on really unfamiliar. Uh, shoes, right? It was strange territory, right? And, you know, but of course he sounded great on them. It's just, you know, it was like well, nobody, I, nobody thinks of Roger Ingram and piccolo trumpet. Well, I mean, nobody thinks about a lot of things. That doesn't mean I don't do them, you know? It's, in fact, uh, two weeks ago, I did a wedding in um, Clarendon Hills. It was just the organ player and me. I did, I did five selections on mm -hmm. piccolo trumpet. 
And uh, not last Easter, but Easter before that, I did the same thing at at, uh, at this really big Catholic church in Naperville. It was just me and an organ player, and I was and I played pick on everything, you know. And, you know, like the trumpet voluntary at the wedding right. and the trumpet tune. And I did that thing that went and recorded for the, the CBS Morning News. Oh, a Blossom, right? Yeah, I did that. And I do it all on A pick in the key of F. And so it puts the organ in key of D. And uh, the, what people don't know is that when I was living in New York and I was uh, playing lead for Lincoln Center, I was taking uh, piccolo trumpet lessons from Mel Broyles at the Met. No. I you, yeah, you never told me that before. I, I took a whole series of trumpet lessons with Mel Broyles because I was right there at Lincoln Center. Uh, every, every almost every Monday through Friday, we were rehearsing new works. We went and wrote a ballet for the Alvin Ailey Ballet Company, and we performed it at the Met for a week. And I met Mel Broyles, and and he said, and I said to him one day, I said, could, you know, could I come take some lessons from you? And he goes, well come up to the front door at here at the Met and I'll meet you there at three o'clock and bring you a piccolo trumpet. And I'll tell you a story. It's a funny story about Mel Broyles. It's my first lesson. And so I have, I had a little Getson uh, piccolo trumpet that I bought at Sam Ash. It wasn't pick, uh, high, the high end model. It was mm -hmm. brass lacquer Getson four valve. And I meet him at the front door and he, and he opened the gate to the foyer to the, where the, where the, the ticket holders go in you know and he shut the door and i said all right like i had such a pleasure to see you again he came to one of the concerts and mm -hmm. he said listen before we go into the back to the locker area for me to get my pick i i i, I want you to do something for me and i said sure he says would you play a double high c for me on your b flat because i just come from a rehearsal with lincoln center i also had my b flat yeah trumpet mouthpiece and and I got ready to do it. He goes, well, no, wait, 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 wait. He says, hold on a second. And he walked all the way to the other side of the foyer. Now, you re you realize that there's a lot of glass and marble and, and wood and stuff in this beautiful, you know, foyer. And then he yelled across, okay, now. And so I played a, uh, a, a C scale from starting a middle C up to high C. And then I played it again going up the double high C. And I held it for a little bit, and then I descended back to high C and back to middle C. And he said, okay, do it again. And so I went. And I held it, and I came back down. And then he said, all right, come on over. And I went up to him, and he gave me a hug. He goes, I always wanted to hear one of those in here. <laughs> He always, he, he wanted me to play a double high C in the foyer where it was really, you know, live right. and everything right. there. And then we went back to uh, the locker area and he pulled out his, his pick and he had the same Getson oh. pick that I had, only his was silver plated and he was playing a jet tone mouthpiece and that drilled out to like a 20 drill or something. Oh, wow. It's like really uh, not your traditional kind of piccolo equipment right. he was playing a getson with a jet on mouthpiece i said wow man he goes yeah he says you know some people kind of wonder about that but he said listen to the sound and he played this beautiful thing and he just sounded wonderful man you know like that guy what a beautiful guy and i bought all his books and then 
one of the questions I asked him, I said, is, do you have any uh, material that you would suggest I go out and get? And he wrote down the call letters for the classical station in New York. He said, just leave this going on in your car and at home. You'll hear everything you need to hear. <laughs> and um, and uh, he told me, he says, you know, he says, you know, you could be a hell of a piccolo trumpet player. He says, but you just got to remember something. This isn't Woody's band. He said, you got to back off. He said, you got to treat the piccolo like it's a it's a tender, sweet little girl. You got to be mm -hmm. sweet and tender with it. He says, you have the facility and the chance to be able to play up there, but you you need to back off on it. And I took what he said to heart. And he said, he said, take a look at the way Maurice Andre plays in the videos. And he's so happy to be playing right. there. Because he's he it, it's like you he's just getting joy from every note he's playing and it's it's like it's like to him it's the greatest thing in the world and he's not overblowing the horn and he's he's showing respect to the composer and respect to the piece and he's playing it the way he should be but he's playing with such a, a beautiful happy spirit he says that's a that's a good way to approach it and so. Mm -hmm. So I always, like, no matter what it was I was involved with, and I have, I've always been known as a guy who plays B-flat with big bands. And and before I, I got with Harry Connick's band, people, I mean, I all I ever wanted to do is just be a good lead trumpet player, you know. And then, but Harry was so popular with the general public because he sings so great and he's a handsome guy that, he had a greater opportunity to showcase his jazz arrangements than a lot of other jazz writers like Bob Brookmeyer and Gil Evans because of Harry's popularity with the general public. And we were always on some kind of a talk show or, or Good Morning America or, you know, the Today Show or something. And he, once he heard me play something up there in the upper register when I first got in the band, because he also plays trumpet. I mean, Harry's this, this musical genius, really creative, like, talent, you know. Right. And so he's multi-instrumentalist and everything. And he loves trumpet, too. And he liked to write that stuff up there. He wrote that stuff up there. And so we're getting on all this uh, primetime TV, and I'm playing all these high notes. Then I got rolled into, like, a bunch of people who really want to be high note players. And, and it's like, I mean, I have an ability to be able to do it, and I can access that upper register easily. But where, where my heart is at is, like, Gazzo, uh, uh, you know, uh, Al Persino, Ray Wetzel, um, you know, Snooky Young. Oh, all those. Okay. I, I've always wanted to be just – uh, I love playing lead trumpet with with orchestras and big bands. So, I mean, I'm I'm glad that I can go up there and access those notes. But and believe me, I mean, a lot of he wanted that that band that Harry had. He wanted that raw edge. He wanted me to hang over and do all that stuff. And I'm telling you, I, I don't do that now. Yeah, I mean, that's a sure way to piss off a conductor is to hang. Right. Over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, you know, it's like, but, but for that band, it worked. It was like, you know, he wanted that. Now I play bigger equipment, you know, the yeah. smallest mouthpiece I play for in, in my commercial endeavors is if you wanted to compare it to a Bach mouthpiece, as far as numbers are concerned, it's about a 9D. That's pretty small. It, well, but not as small as what some people play. Now, for for uh, the classical things I do, I play a 7C. 
you know, and for me, that's big. Mm-hmm. It's the first mouthpiece I ever put my lips on, and it was out of ignorance. It's it's it compared to about a Bach 12D, and it's because someone gave my family a trumpet and a trumpet mouthpiece, and I just figured it's a trumpet mouthpiece. So I got right. used to like a, a a narrow diameter, you know. So playing a something for my commercial endeavors that's like a, a 9d that's you know and i, I yeah. it's a reasonable size and i get a, a a nice broad commercial sound on it and i can still play up to this you know d e or whatever you know yeah. but you know but, i think about those those big bands uh i'm thinking 30s 40s 50s right and really even maybe through kenton before kenton Right, the lead player wasn't really the screamer, right? Wasn't it like the oh, fifth no. trumpet player yeah. would, would tag something on at the end? Yeah. But the lead, the lead player just was the style guy, right? The, the lead player was the boss. Right. I mean, Doc Severinsen, he said when he, I think he was on Jimmy Dorsey's band, it's like Ray Wetzel was the lead player, and you better play no clams. No clams, he's the boss. And then you'd have the high note guy at the end of the section. Like Maynard started out as the fifth player with Boyd Rayburn's band and Charlie Barnett's band. And he played the third book on Kenton's band. He was never the lead trumpet player. He was the high note guy. It was the old school way of doing it, you know. And Ken Anderson, uh, I don't think he was the lead trumpet player on Duke Ellington's band. And and I'm I, and I'll tell you when when I was growing up in L.A. I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to be able to sit next to Bud Brisboy at a couple of rehearsals at Los Angeles City College, mm-hmm. and I took a couple lessons from him. And by the time I was 16, I was in the rotation of trumpet players who subbed on Louis Belson's band, and I got to sit next to. Uh, Cat Anderson a couple of times. And and I'll tell you, sitting next to Cat Anderson and Bud Brisboy cured me right there of wanting <laughs> to be a high note guy. Because those guys could play off the piano. And 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 I, I and of all the high note players I've had the uh for, the fortune to sit next to, including John Faddis mm-hmm. and uh Maynard Ferguson, I would have to say pound for pound for just sheer volume. The loudest high notes I ever heard came out of Cat Anderson. Wow. And it was like ripping sheet metal. I mean, when that guy connected, it was like, man, he he could bury a band on an F above double C and just like smile all the way through it, you know. So I, you know, when I was coming up in LA, I did another rehearsal at Los Angeles City College and and I knew this guy, he's, he's still around, a great lead trumpet player named John Thomas. He's Don Thomas's son. Don Thomas played uh, in Dallas. He was a really busy session guy. And I was about 16, and I, I was at a rehearsal at Los Angeles City College, and I noticed that John Thomas had uh, this tag on his gig bag that said Andy Williams. And I said, what's that Andy Williams tag? He goes, well, I'm his lead trumpet player. When he goes out of town, he brings a rhythm section and me, and then he hires a local orchestra. I said, really? Those stars, they carry lead trumpet players with them? And and he said, yeah. And he says, and I work all the gigs with them here in town, too. Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking, and I had a good high G when I was 16. I said, well, and I was always a good reader. And I said, 
I think maybe, you know, after I got over thinking about being a high note player, I said, I, I think maybe I'd like to be a lead trumpet player and tour with these acts. And I ended up doing it. I mean, I spent a year with Connie Stevens and I spent six years with Tom Jones and I traveled with Paul Anka for a while. And so, so I ended up doing it and, and that's what I wanted to do. And then I got with Harry. And he exploited the fact, and and look, I, and I didn't resist either. I mean, I was kind of young, and you know, I was full of piss and vinegar. And I say, oh, yeah, I'll take that up an octave. Yeah, man. You know, it's like you know, let me add those notes. You know, and it is almost like a, a bit over the top. You know, some of that stuff. I listen to it now. I'm like, I'm like, God, I can't. God, I was like, I had some venom in me, man. You know, and now I just, you know. Yeah, but you're not allowed to get in any, any time machine and go back and undo that because there are too many people that really dig. <laughs> dig well, wow. the inner, you know, it's not just the high notes, right? But it was the energy in that band. Oh, the, it's, yeah. The energy it was, was raw, you know, and, and you were you were just floating across the top of that, you know, so. Yeah, and, and, and Harry's such a smart cat, man. He, after he heard that, he knew exactly how to write for me. Mm -hmm. And I had to tell him, I said, Harry, stop writing all those ledger lines. I, I had to actually count them and mock what note it was. And because I, I said, I'm not a trombone player. I still don't know how trombone players do that. They read right. those ledger lines. I said, write it down an octave and write APA over it, please. Yeah. You know, it's, to do that. Uh, you know, a, a funny story. It, it was on one of the albums we that I did with Harry. And, and, and including all the... Uh, uh, compilation records of his that have been released. I'm on, on about 17 albums mm -hmm. of Harry Connick Jr.'s. A lot of them have been, there's compilations now, you know, right. collector's series. And But it was one of the albums, I think it was maybe songs we heard or something like that. And at the time, we didn't have an official second trumpet player. Dan Miller had left the band. And I think it was before we got Derek Gardner on the band. And we needed to do this record and Harry said, who should we get to play second trumpet? And I said, well, get Tony Cadillac because mm -hmm. Tony Cadillac, he's, he's a guy you want to have in your trumpet section. I mean, he's there for the team. He's such a great, wonderful player, lead jazz section, anything. And, and he's such a mellow guy without any ego at all. He'll just say, Oh yeah, I'll come play second on record, you know? So to get back to the cutting off thing, there was this one session and Harry wrote a high A for me at the end of the chart. And I, I was really starting to get a lot of crap from like uh, Bobby Shue about, <laughs> man, how come you're hanging over all the time? Everybody knows he's playing lead on the band. And, you know, it's like, man, you know, you put your ego in your back pocket. I'm saying, really, really, Bobby. I mean, I'm, you were doing what the boss wanted, right? I wanted, you know. And so I was trying to not do it, you know. And so we're at a record date and there's a high A. And I cut it right off. And it was, you know, it was a good high A. It was right in there, man, you know, and I cut it off. And in those days, Harry wasn't into doing any inserts or overdubbing. If there was something about that track he didn't like, we had to do it all over again because he wanted that consistency in the feel and the swing all through from the beginning to the end. And I mean, it, and I haven't been with him for 11 years ago. I don't know if that's how he's still doing it. Uh, something tells me it's probably probably is how he's still doing it because he's a real purist and he knows what he's doing, you know. So I cut it right off and he goes, Roger says, man, I want you to do that thing at the end of the note, man. 
And so Tony starts laughing because he knows that I'm trying not to do that because it, it, in our discussions as trumpet players, you know, I said, man, you know, I'm really trying to. So Harry said, listen, we got to do the takeover again because I want you to hang that over, you know. And so now I'm thinking, how much am I going to hang over to make <laughs> Harry happy, but to get the least amount of crap from Bobby Shue, you know? And I started <laughs> thinking about, I read a story about this wonderful child actress from the 30s, and I forget her name right now, but she was so good. Uh, she could cry like that. If you wanted somebody to cry, she could start crying. Not every actor or actress can do that. And she was so good. She said, Not Shirley me, Temple, was it? No, it was another one. And and, and uh, if it was Shirley Temple, I would have remembered. But yeah. she said to the director before they shot the scene, she said, how far down my face do you want the tears to go? Oh. Wow. And so I kind of felt like, how much am I going to hang that over just to make Harry happy and not piss off my old trumpet teacher bobby shoe and i got it and after we did think tony turned to me and he said that was just right <laughs> he said that was just fine and he's still like just laughing and we're both yeah. laughing you know so as far as harry's band, i mean i i love that whole experience but the the uh, instrument the, the instrumentation change started changing you know mm -hmm. and the configuration of the band changed and when i first got on that band i I had just gotten off, well, Woody died in 87, and I had just gotten off Maynard's band, and then I went out with Harry, and I was going to approach playing the, that Lee Trumpet book on Harry's band like a, the way I played Woody's book, I, you know, because it was a full big band, man. It was it was me and Dan Miller and Leroy Jones and Jeremy Davenport and, like, Joe Barati and Mark Mullins and Craig Klein and Lucian Barber and we're in the saxes and Dave Schumacher and Jerry Weldon and Will Campbell and Brad Lely and and this, and Ned Gould and the saxes. I mean, it was a hell of a band with Shannon Powell on drums, Russell Malone on guitar, and Ben Wolf on bass. It was a swinging band, and Harry's intention was to swing. He was all about swinging, and boy, he had the right rhythm section for that. Mm -hmm. So for the first four or five years, it was just heaven playing on that band, and they started writing high stuff for me, and I was, like I said, I was still had a lot of piss and vinegar in me. I was like, all right, right man, if that's what you want, all right. And now, you know, I'm, I, I'm, intentionally staying local and because i traveled for so many years and vicky and i have this house here i'm in my basement right now mm -hmm. we have this house here and i you know i'm and i like on august 1st i'm doing michael feinstein at uh ravinia with a local orchestra that's that's hired by jerry demuzio contracted the orchestra and so I'm I'm playing more conservatively. It's not all about me, you know. It's like I'm part of an orchestra now, and I cut off with the conductor, right? <laughs> and I'm playing bigger equipment, yeah. and I'm getting and trying to get a nice Broadway type of sound for that, you know. And so you, and know, I, <laughs> you mentioned playing with all these different bands, and it just occurred to me, you know, going from Louis Belson to Woody Herman to uh, Harry Connick and Maynard, it's like these are not all the the same. They don't all swing the same. And Maynard, depending on what era you were with him, right? I mean, it could have been that 80s pop, you know. So it could, it could have been. The first tour I did, but dig, dig this. The first tour I did with Maynard, 
Maynard decided he wanted, it was his 60th birthday. So it was the 60th birthday big band tour. And it was 1988. And he had just finished touring with the electric band for a long time. And that was Wayne Bergeron's first year with Maynard was playing with the electric band. Well, Maynard got rid of the whole electric band. He kept Wayne and he said, Wayne, I want you to put together a trumpet section for this next tour that's coming up because we're going to do all the old charts from the Birdland uh, uh, Dream Band years. So Wayne called me and Pete Olstad and Chris Reyes was the fourth trumpet player. He was also Maynard's valet. So to answer your question about this, the very first time I got to play with Maynard was all the old swing yeah. stuff. Yeah. That really Maiden arranged and Slide Hampton arranged. And Maynard cut his hair and bought a three-piece suit with a tie. <laughs> and he's he wanted to go back in time because it was his 60th birthday. So we did all the stuff from the Birdland Dream Band. And Wayne and I split up the lead. Wayne was the official lead player because he was a hangover from the previous band, which is fine with me. Wayne's just this wonderful lead trumpet player. I mean, he's got a, a sound up on a double C that sounds like an orchestral player. I mean, right. Wayne's just got this really unusual, beautiful sound. And then, but he, he we, Wayne and I have been friends since we were like 16 years old. We, we've known, we're the same age and we studied with the same teachers and we were, we were roommates on an 11 week ship contract. We did a cruise ship gig before anybody even knew who the hell either one of us were. And so, <laughs> And so, um, but so Wayne just split it, it up even with me and, and Pete Olstad too played a lot of the lead. So the very first tour I did with Maynard was not the, uh, the electric stuff, but like, I know what you're saying. Like Woody's band swung different. Maynard's band swung a little different. Louis Belson's band swung a little different. When I was with Ray Charles, it was basically just all swing and big band stuff. And each one is a little different. And when you, when you, uh, are called to do one of those bands, you kind of owe it to the lineage of all mm -hmm. each other players that have been on that band to do your homework and research the band and listen to every single uh, recording as much as you could do right. through the decade so you get an idea of where that band was coming from. And when I went on Woody's band, I listened to that 60s herd with Bill Chase and Sal Nessico, and I tried to model myself after what I heard coming from Bill Chase mm -hmm. out of that 60s band where, you know, the Woody's Big Band goodies and, uh, oh God, it was the other name, but where they did they redid Apple Honey and Nessico and all those. So, I mean, you know, yeah. It, uh, it, we all live on with all those bands. We're living under banner of of, of of swing and big band, but each one of them swings a little differently. Yeah. And when when I knew that we were going to do the all the old stars from the Birdland Dream Band, I got all those records and I listened to it, and I and I and I heard all those great lead trumpet players that used to work for Maynard there in New York. You know, so yeah, yeah, it's yeah, you're right. It's it's a little different for each one. Did you ever play for Buddy Rich? No. Um, uh, there was talk of me going out with Buddy, uh, Eric Miyashiro, who's this wonderful lead trumpet player I've known for years. Yeah. And he was just playing his ass off on, on, uh, Buddy's band. And, and I was still on Woody's band, Woody was still alive. And there was talk of, of some casual talk between me and Eric, where we were thinking about swapping gigs. Hmm. 
where maybe I'd go out and work with Buddy and he'd come play with Woody. Mm -hmm. And then Buddy got sick. He ended up getting, you know, yeah. I think he had some kind of a, a brain cancer or something. And so when Buddy got sick, then I just stayed with Woody until Woody passed away. But Eric ended up playing with Woody's band on the first Ghost Band. Mm -hmm. Because after Woody passed away, I stayed for about another month and then I, I moved on, you know, because I did three albums there with the chopper, you know. And Eric and is doing something to make him not look uh, as old as he probably is. You know, I interviewed him a, a, a couple of months ago and he looks like he's maybe, you know, in his 40s, late, you know, late 40s. But yeah. Well, uh, yeah. hey, uh, uh, hey, there we are. Hey, uh, Ryan Nottingham, uh, trumpet player out of Louisville, Kentucky. He's commented on here. He he was chiming in, especially that last comment where you're talking about uh, staying true to the style of of the big bands. And then, uh, of course, Bruno Garcia uh, down in uh, what was it Brazil? Is that right? Yeah, Bruno. Yeah, uh, yeah. What a great guy! And all the all these guys. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm doing a uh, interview for them on Thursday, I think. But uh, Ryan Nottingham, I think he plays lead with Glenn Miller's band. Oh, is that right? Ryan, you uh, got to chime in here in a second on that. And and next week, uh, I'm I got asked to go down and play lead trumpet on for the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. And it's a battle of the bands between the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra and the Glenn Miller Orchestra <laughs> at this place in Indiana. And so I've been checking out a lot of Tommy Dorsey lately because I've never played that book. And so we're, we got to do the shout course on uh, 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 Marie, and we're going to do We'll Get It. Of course, there's Opus One, and then uh, Song of India. There's, a, there's big trumpet sullies on there. So I'm checking all that stuff out because... I mean, I'm going to go be, be going down there and sight reading the book. Yeah. And just because it's old doesn't mean it's easy. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm taking it real seriously. I'm playing lead trumpet with Tommy Dorsey's band a week from Thursday. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to make sure that I come out of there smelling like a rose, you know. And <laughs> so I'm actually shedding this stuff in between all these little gigs and things I'm doing. I'm checking out the Tommy Dorsey book because that that's, you know. Hey, that's what happens when you show up to a gig where, you know, it's it's a it's a band that's been put together and you're going to play some of these charts and the leader takes a completely wrong tempo? I uh, mean, does anybody does anybody do you say, hey, wait a second? No, you do the best to yeah. hang in there. You do what you can. It's I'm I'm a side man. He's the leader. And it, and it comes down to if the audience doesn't like it, then it's his band. <laughs> right. You know what yeah. I'm saying? But I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to do what I can. You know, it's like, all right. You know, it's like fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you get a chance to do that much anymore? I mean, I know we're just coming out of the pandemic and things are going to start. But, well, you actually said you're trying to stay local, right? So you're not actually. Well, yeah. But it's like now I talked about uh, next week, the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. Uh, two weeks ago, I played lead for the Jimmy Dorsey Orchestra at a gig in uh, 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 Arnold's Park, Iowa. The thing, the difference is, is that I'm the Midwest contractor for the Jimmy uh, okay. Dorsey Orchestra. Uh, David Prine is the new leader for the Jimmy Dorsey Orchestra. He's a trumpet player. He's a great trumpet player and vocalist, and he's the leader of that band. 
So he's got a contractor for the East Coast, and he's got a contractor for the West Coast, and he's got a contract for, for the Midwest. And when he became the leader, he asked me if I wanted to do the contracting for the Jimmy Dorsey Orchestra. So now, now after next week, I can say I've played the both the Dorsey brothers, both their bands, you know. That's cool. And uh, and I know that uh, Tommy Dorsey band was uh, a band that I know Bobby Shue started. That was one of his first gigs. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, maybe Chuck Finley started, did, yeah. did a little bit on the Tommy Dorsey band. And I've heard the, uh, the uh, you know, the old tapes with uh, Ziggy Elman and Charlie Shavers and buddy rich and charlie shavers was ridiculous on the tommy dorsey band some of those old tv shows and buddy rich is playing drums and just like <sighs> i mean it's some incredible stuff and the this this duet that uh, that ziggy Elman and uh buddy rich do man it's like man i'm telling yeah. you i'm taking it seriously yeah you know hey, hey roger take me through a typical day uh, you start warming up to it. What what do you do to get through the day on the horn? Well, um, I start with that. Oh, that's Bobby Shue. Well, I mean, Bobby Shue has been a huge influence on my life and the way I play. Hi, Victoria. Yeah, Hello, there's Vicky back there. <laughs> there's All right, I'll look at him, man. Hi. Look at him. Hey, man, you hey. look great. Hey, Thank you. Good. You do, too. It's nice to see you. Thanks. Yeah, and the, the, you're, uh, we were talking about your master's degree. You, you got one in economic forecasting from the yeah. University of Chicago. No, actually, economics, University of Chicago, econometrics, Northern Illinois University. Uh, and, and then, uh, 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 the application of applied probability and statistics to economic forecasting. So I let her budget. <laughs> That's a mouthful. <laughs> that. I let her do the household budgeting, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. yeah. It's great to see you. Nice yeah. to see you too. Yeah. Right, I'll let you guys yeah. go back to talking about your. Uh, well, uh, you know, I mean, I, and I and I wanted to make before we go. I'm, I want to tell you about. I want to plug a lot of stuff that's coming up. There's a lot of stuff coming up. You know? Yeah, yeah, but I want to. I want you to go through the what you're doing. Uh, you know, we're talking about Bobby Shoe. You're doing the the chop well, flapping and all. But you know, I mean, I I, I stretch. I, I get my body going into it. You know, I mean, I get my body. And depending on my now during the pandemic when we I was just at home I was riding my bike ten miles a day and I was getting up at six a.m. every day and I was warming up and and I do about seven or eight half hour sessions on the trumpet every day and and but now because I'm working and I'm in and out in and out my schedule changes depending on what 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 my personal schedule is dependent right. on what my on um, what my work schedule sure. is sure. like last night i i did a gig with the uh, jazz consortium big band at nelly's gastro pub in palatine i didn't get back till late and they pulled up uh three really hard sets so when i got up today i was a little puffy you know and and then Andy and Luke were going to be here at 10 to try to prototype. So I got up around 8, and I took a shower, and I put the warm water over my face, and I just did that, and I started flapping, and then... Kind of like my push-ups, you know, because mm -hmm. that's not what happens inside the mouthpiece. That's buzzing your lips. Inside right. the mouthpiece, your lips vibrate. 
right we're blowing air past the lips and they're vibrating independently of each other but that's a good way to start focusing right flooring and then i get the mouthpiece and i buzz the mouthpiece and then I do a partial exercise where I go through all the partials, all the fingerings, you know, and then I play in the mid register. And I, and when I start out the day, I always put a tuner on my stand. I just, I'm always checking. I just want to make sure I'm in the ballpark there and everything is. Yeah. And then those guys came over and then we were there for about a couple hours. And then I had a, a real quick little recording session over at Jim Massoff's studio. And, and then, um, Vicky and I, we went out and we had to take care of some shopping and stuff. And then we're here. And so, yeah. and then after we're done with this, I'm going to go and uh, uh, practice the trumpet. Uh, me too. You know, I'm, <laughs> me you know, too. Right, yeah. I'm going to play. I mean, that's what I do. I'm a, right. I'm a trumpet player. He's yeah. got a lot of trumpets. Well, that's because he's a trumpet player. Right. You know? I mean, that's right. What, what you do. So, um, and yeah, but go ahead and, and plug, uh, What's, well, what's I got, coming up? Well, um, let's see. I talked about uh, the the uh, the project we've been doing for Mark Tremonti, you know, right. which is going to be great. And the release of today, the release of Joshua Jern's album, Lockdown, you know, this album, it's released today. And it's, uh, that's, that's the information. Mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. I think that's where you can get it from. And and I play lead trumpet on this, and uh, and then um, let's see. You know, I have I got a couple books and um, the record release party. We talked about that. The Chris Christmas CD. Oh, there's a thing I'm doing. Uh, it's called the Heritage Jazz Orchestra, hmm. mm -hmm. and Luke Malevich, one of the guys who was trying to prototype this morning. It's his orchestra. And he's a great lead and jazz trombone player. He plays with the Chicago Jazz Orchestra. Mm -hmm. I sub with the Chicago Jazz Orchestra. Brent Turney is is the uh, is the resonant lead trumpet player with the Chicago Jazz Orchestra. But when he lives up in Wisconsin, so when he can't do it, I do it. Right. And and we're doing the entire Kansas City Suite album, Basie's Kansas Suite album. We're playing it in its entirety, uh, Wednesday, August fourth at the uh, Fulton Street Art Collective. And the Fulton Street Art Collective is at uh, 821 West Hubbard Street in, in Chicago. And we're having a rehearsal early that day. And and the thing is, is when these, when Basie's band, and we, we did the same thing with, a, we did the whole Basie Straight Ahead album. And uh, we did the whole Thad Jones Consummation album. I mean, we go in and we do a, a the concert is the entire album, and that's the mm -hmm. whole concert. Mm -hmm. What people need to realize is, on some of these records, they took two or three days to record right. those out. <laughs> and right. so, when you're going to go in and just play the whole thing like back to back, right. you know, you, you got to pace yourself a little yeah. bit, you know, yeah. and uh, you got to do the research on the album because of who is playing lead, and you got to right. listen to it, and you got to. You know, I'll get my parts, and according to what's happening on their record, I'll start marking my parts, you know. Mm -hmm. And we're going to – I mean, it's kind of a time life thing, you know, the time life series where – but right. it's like – it's a, it's it's one of the local things I do, you know. It's like um, I get to back up some big stars once in a while, but for the most part, uh, I'm, I'm working locally, and I'm enjoying it because I can stay home with my family. Yeah. 
the, the yeah. family I never had when I was out there for 35 years, you know? Right. And, uh, of course, you know, I got a couple books out. One is The Versatile Trumpeter. It's 116 pages, and it's 16 duets, and I co-wrote it with Josh Rezepka. And we recorded the accompanying CD that goes with the book, and it was released in 2019. And there are um, forwards from Tody Cadlick, Marcus Printup, Earl Gardner, Michael Sachs, Jose Sabaha, Tim Burke, Dan Miller, Andy Baker, one of the guys who was over here, trying, right. uh, Dan Jacobs and Nick Mondello. And that's this book. And it was uh, put out One Two Tree Publishing, my publishing company. Right. And it's called The Versatile Trumpeter. And it's it's been extremely successful. And there's a lot of text in it. We explain how to approach each one of the duets. And we give the history of where that where the the tune that duet was based upon. We give the history of that right. tune and everything. And uh, there we are in the studio. And you can look up the Versal Trumpeter uh, on Facebook. We have a, a uh, I'll put a, a link in the show notes for this too. Yeah, yeah. Facebook page, you know. Yeah. And then, um, of course, this my first book that I uh, released in uh 2008 and uh this is clinical notes on trumpet playing and it has forwards from harry connick jr yeah bobby, bobby shoe and greg gisbert one of the greatest jazz trumpet players alive is greg gisbert man that guy is such a bad dude you know um, so, um, he, and he was nice enough to write and it's all text, you know, it's a textbook mm -hmm. and it's, uh, it's based a lot uh, upon a lot of the stuff that I learned from Bobby Shue, but Bobby Shue wrote a forward to it. And I said, you know, Bobby, I'm thinking of writing this book, but I don't want to just parrot everything that you talk about. He goes, you know, Roger, it's okay for you to write that book because it's your interpretation of what you learned from me, you know, right. it's like, and uh, Bobby just recently sent me a lot of articles. I got a stack of articles he wrote. You have to realize that what I teach and what I talk about in this book was based on the studies I had with Bobby in the 1970s. Now, since the 70s, Bobby has expanded and even grown on what he taught even to a greater degree. And and about two weeks ago, he sent me an uh, email, all the latest updates for everything he used to talk about. And it still goes along, but with suggestions on how to better teach it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm taking my time and reading a, this stack of stuff, you know, and, and it's like, and I've, and I've been in communication with him. And I said, man, you know, it's like some of the things he's writing, it's just, just uh, you know, brilliant some things about playing the trumpet, you know, and it, it's like, you know, Bobby Shue has been a huge influence on my life. And that book is based on what I, I learned from him. But now there's this new era of these articles that Bobby, and I'm, I'm, I, I didn't ask him if he's planning on putting out a publication or anything like that, you know, but he's, he's already sharing the articles, which tells me he's not because you don't, share the contents right. of a book before you publish it you know that's right. just that's that's a bad idea yeah 
you know. Yeah, he's he's actually been sending me things. I think I'm probably on his distribution list. You know, I get you know one or two things a week uh, yeah. by email, and it's great. You know, it, it's uh, so. Hey, um, I I can't believe <laughs> we were like almost an hour and ten minutes. Oh man, I, 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 how long do we get to have? We, we have as long as we want, but you know, I I, I want to respect your time too. But well, I I don't want. Well, the only thing I got to do now, I'm staying home for the rest of the night, and I. And I got to pull out my horn and uh, work on some things that are coming up. You asked me what I practice at home. Basically, um, for the, in the beginning of the day, I I I address the mid register of the horn. Mm -hmm. I mean that that's that's where everything stems from. If you ever have a problem in the upper register, the solution is probably you're going to find it in the mid register. You're it's the one that told me. Uh, you, you you finish this. It's something about the high register, the low register, and the well. Yeah, it was, it was the first time I met Derek Watkins. Yeah, we all. If you're a trumpet player, you know who Derek Watkins right. was. Wonderful lead trumpet player. First call in London for decades. Did all the James Bond movies and all the. He was with James the last few years. The trumpet section towards the end there with James last was Derek Watkins, uh, Chuck Finley, Bob right. Coates. And then sometimes Bobby Finley would be in there. Talk about that's a pretty good trumpet, right? And so <clears throat> Derek Watkins was a beautiful guy. And when I was with Tom Jones, I was with Tom Jones from '76 to '82, and I and I got the gig when I was about 18, and uh, I toured the world with him. We were on the road for 10 months a year, wow. and I was a single guy in the '70s, and with Tom Jones, just you know, and and Bobby Shue said to me, all right, that's great that you got that gig, but don't don't get lost out there. Don't make a career of just doing Tom Jones. Take a trumpet lesson in every city, wherever you go, you know. So I was always seeking out. I mean, when I I, studied, I took one lesson from Bacchiano. I took a lesson from Reinhardt. I took a series of lessons with Carmen Caruso. I took a series of lessons with Jerry Callett. I took a couple lessons with Roy Stevens and some lessons with Shilke. And so when I went to London, I wanted to meet Derek Watkins, right. you know. And so it was 1979. I'd never been to London and I was all excited, man. Oh, man, I'm going to be in London. So and, and Derek wanted to meet me, too, because he had he used to be the lead player for Tom Jones, too. Oh. And his childhood friend, Terry Jenkins, was playing drums with with tom jones when i was first there and mm -hmm. terry was like my best friend on the band mm -hmm. and so he, terry said well when we go to london um you know you got to meet derek so i finally got to meet uh, we get in town at the hotel and we meet at a pub and i in those days those days i was like i said i was a young whippersnapper i was right. full of piss and vinegar and i was drinking beer you know i don't even drink anymore you know I don't drink or smoke or anything, but but Derek and I met at the pub and and I had a few pints of bitter, you know, mm -hmm. that's like mm -hmm. that warm ale. And so we're we start talking about the trumpet, you know. And on that trip, Derek gave me a Boozy and Hawks trumpet that he had designed, a brand new one. It was the forerunner to Smith Watkins mm -hmm. era. Mm -hmm. And a couple of gig bags and some stands, you know, those spider stands. They had just come out. He was beautiful. He gave me all this stuff, you know. And he, and he said, he said, you know, Roja. He used to call me Roja. You know, Roja Ingrams. You know, right. And uh, he said, you know, um, all the notes below low C. That's the low register. 
and all the notes above high C, that's the high register. And all the notes between low C and high C, that's the cash register. He said, that's where you make most of your money. Right. You, know, they, you know, there's a reason why the Arvin book only went up to about a high D. You know, it's because yeah. the trumpet, it was meant to be played from low F sharp to high C. Anything else above there, it was, it was for all intents and purposes, not intended to be played on the trumpet. So like something I said earlier uh, on this thing to, that we're doing tonight. Whatever kind of problems that develop for you in the upper register, the chances are that the solution is going to be found in the mid register mm -hmm. because what you're doing up there is just an extension of what the way you're supposed to play the trumpet right. in the mid register. That's why when I start out my day, I give myself a half an hour of, of going through various fundamentals from the Clark book, the Schlossberg book, and the Arben book. And then, you know, I work on the things that I need to work on. I, I have a whole bunch of Abersoles right now. Um, I'm right now I'm doing the rhythm changes in all 12 keys, you know, and then um, and then I have a Dixieland Abersole. One. I'm telling you, it's all that Dixieland music. <laughs> you don't have the hip changes to get lost into and play. Some of you got to really have some technique together. Right. To get over some good traditional jazz, you know, quote unquote Dixieland type of solos, you know? So I'm working on those things. And then I'm working on the stuff from the Tommy Dorsey book. Cause I got a gig coming up with them right. next week. I'm going to be working on all the Kansas city sweet stuff because we got a concert coming up with them. Right. And uh, so, so it depends on what's coming up for me. I'll shed it. I mean, I'll spend hours on it so that right. when I show up there, it, it, I'm going to do it the best I can do it. You know, that's part of being a professional. Right. I mean, you show up on time, uh, wearing the right uniform. <laughs> right. I mean, that's half the gig right there. It's like if it's a tux, you better be showing up wearing a tux. Right. And you show up on time. Which means early. Uh, which means early. And you, I, I get to every gig, I, I'm, I, I, if, I, if possible, I get there an hour early. Mm -hmm. That's so I can set up my mutes and I can like, you know, relax so that when the first tune hits, I'm relaxed, I'm in the zone and I'm not all panicked because I had to walk across everybody with my stuff, you know, getting into the second, <laughs> you know, because everybody gets dark on you if you're, if you're late and you got to, oh, excuse me, excuse right. me, excuse me, oh, can you take my bag and put it, it's like, man, they're dark on you for about two or three tunes. They're like, man, you know, dude, you know, it's like, right. you know, what well, we got here on time. Right. What's wrong with you? It's about being a professional. You show up wearing the right stuff and you and you and you keep your mouth shut. And I play everything about 50% volume. And, and like even though you're a lead trumpet player, you're you're only you're just an ensemble player. Mm -hmm. You're part of the ensemble. Your voice is the lead voice for the ensemble stuff. That doesn't mean you play louder than everybody. It's like you want to blend. You know, you have to observe the dynamics. I default to a 50% volume level. Now, if there's some, like I, I did this solo uh, uh, lately. Um, I did it with the, um, uh, I did the begin to begin. Bill Holman's arrangement to begin to begin written for Doc Severance. And then, and the NATO Jazz Orchestra at the Shape International Band asked me to do a solo. They recorded all their parts in Belgium. They sent the track over, and they filmed them doing the parts. Mm -hmm. And I did my solo here at Jim Massoff's studio, and I mm -hmm. had 
I had my little, you know, my little MGM thing there listening to the track, uh, my little MGM headset. Right. And so I'm play, I play that solo at about 75% because it's a solo. Mm -hmm. It's, it's my chance to stand out front and shine. You don't play like that when you're playing lead trumpet on a band. You almost want to be felt rather than heard. You want mm -hmm. the band to feel you. You want to, you, you know, you want, and you let them feel you by how you phrase the quality of the sound and so important pitch. Mm -hmm. You want the pitch to be right in there. And I'm telling you, I pay a lot of attention to where the trombone players pitch are because they're constantly dealing with pitch because, you know, well, they're, they're playing a giant, a giant tuning slide pretty much. And if there's ever a, a question about where the pitch is, and if there's some kind of a debate or a discussion about the, where the pitch is, I always default to the lead trombone player. Hmm. I'll say, Andy, where you think it is. And I'll go with them. So I'm when I sit down and I play lead trumpet, and you're always in the back of the head of the lead trombone player, I try to get where they are as far as pitches immediately. And then you don't have to play loud. If you're in tune, a lot of people who get just like not the greatest sound, but a nice sound. If you're playing in tune, you're, the average public listener it equates that to having, listen, what a beautiful sound he's getting. Mm -hmm. It's not so much his sound is beautiful. He's playing in tune. It's like pitch, man, overrides so much stuff. If you're playing in tune. Well, those yeah. overtones are lining up, right? I mean, that's what. And then everybody, yeah. oh, what a beautiful sound. It's like, yeah, he gets a good sound. He's playing in tune. Yeah. You play in tune. You don't have to play loud. And then if all that's lining up, then. I try to be felt more than heard. I hate to have to force myself, force my sound, my sound upon everybody. That's why playing with a great band is such a joy because I can back off. I don't have to try to control the time because there's a bad drummer. If the drummer's time is there, that means I can sit there and just play. And I don't have to force the issue. I can just play. And I can think about pitch, concept, and swing. And that's the, way, that's the way it was to play on Harry Connick's band when I first started band. The time with Shannon Powell, one of the mm -hmm. swingingest drummers of all time. And the pitch, Mark Mullins was the lead trombone player. He, the guy's got like perfect pitch, man. And I was like, bam, right there. It was so easy. So we could do tremendous things. Mm -hmm. When you're not dealing with having to constantly make sure that the fundamental stuff that should be there anyway, if you're constantly not having to force the issue of what fundamentally should be there anyway, and you can just play, that means a lot of tremendous things can happen. You can have some magical nights. And pitch has always got to be there. Don't overblow the horn. Be felt more than heard. And phrase. A, a phrase according to what kind of a chart it is you're playing. And, and that's why I, I try to accomplish even locally here. I mean, I've resigned, I've resigned myself from traveling with big stars and stuff like that. I really enjoy being with my family. Mm -hmm. my, my, my wife has a wonderful garden. We got the cutest little kitty, you know, and we have our house out here in LaGrange. It's like one of the Western suburbs, you know, so. And rabbits. And bunnies. We got right? two, two families of bunnies living out there in the yard. So, but what I do with these local bands 
you know, and there's a lot of them. I try to like maintain a high standard of musicianship and musicianship means uh, having good time, paying attention to dynamics, playing in tune and having some respect for the other players in the band, you know? So when I show up, I'm, I want to show up early so that, you know, I can sit there and I can just kind of relax and then do the best I can, you know? And uh, Roger, this last like 15, 20 minutes is pure gold. You know, it's like, it's, it's a clinic. It's the yeah. absolute best clinic, you know, and it's like, uh, and it doesn't matter how many times you hear this, right. It's, it's, it's always nice to be reminded of, oh yeah, that's how it should be done. Right? Well, yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, uh, words are cheap. It's easy for me to say this. I mean, cause when I show up tomorrow, I'm going to be trying as hard as I can to actually do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, talk is cheap. And it's, it's nice to be able to say this stuff, but it, it's what I feel. And when everything is in line and you're really doing it, you're only as good as your last performance. It's like, I don't care who you've played with, how, you know, oh, it's like I was, uh, you know, I'm on the first playing lead trumpet on the first record that ever won a Pulitzer Prize in jazz, Blood on Fields. I play lead on the entire album. It doesn't matter tomorrow. Nobody cares. I mean, that was a long time ago. You're only as good as your last performance. And I don't care if it's just some local band by a leader that just is, is only well-known here locally in Chicago. It's whoever's in that crowd, it's a spiritual experience for everybody. And, and, and it's your duty to make sure that you bring in the highest standard of musicianship as you possibly can, no matter who it is, you know. And yeah. it's, it's just like that great teacher said, every, every day you have to find your technique anew. That's why I put the tuner in front of me on the stand and I say, yeah, I, I, I have a pretty good idea where the pitch is going to be, but I'm just going to check anyway. Yep. And, I'm, and I'm just going to see where my dynamic levels are today. And I'm going to take a nice long time to warm up and get everything straight because it could be my last performance. Who knows, you know? You know, it's funny. You you said uh, we we always call it a warm up, right, or a routine. And recently, I've tried to to change it to I, I call it a sound check. What I do in the morning is a sound check, right? Because that means I'm really tuned in to what's coming out of the end of my horn, right? I'm not just going through the paces. I'm thinking, I'm I'm where is it? You know, and it's like this this is we're supposed to be engaged with it, not just okay, da 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 da. You know. Which well, should, that's okay thing to play, right? But but, but like, being, but it like Bobby Shue told me when I was a kid, it's not necessarily the exercise you're playing; it's how you're thinking about when you're mm -hmm. playing it. Mm -hmm. Why are you playing it? And and I tell all my students, you know, look, it, it's not like just breathing. We didn't come out of the womb with little trumpets. <laughs> I mean, we're not even supposed to be doing this. It's you not know? natural to blow through a hunk of brass. Or to have a, 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 a round piece of brass pressed up against your lips for hours at a time. Your lips are for kissing your wife or for or it's the beginning of your digestive system where you've, you feel the texture of the food, you know, and you taste it. And, and that's what your lips are for and for helping you uh, pronounce words correctly and enunciate, you know. So, but the spiritual side of us wants to wants to express ourselves through the beauty of music, you know, 
And and we chose to trumpet because there was something about it that really attracted us. So, but you have to you have to realize that it's a man-made device. And if it was a perfect instrument, we wouldn't have these throw slides either. You know, <laughs> I mean, and none of these trumpets are perfectly in tune. You know, I tell kids who go to the Midwest conference, you know, they're going to spend mommy and daddy's three or four thousand dollars on a mm-hmm. trumpet. Just don't go around and see how high you can play on these trumpets. Right. Once you get a tuner and put it in front of a horn and see, do I need to, to kick out the first slide on the A? Do I need to play high C two and three? Is that is that uh, a third line uh, E? Is that flat? Do I need to play it one and two? I mean, all the, the notes are always out of tune on a trumpet, and there's going to be some notes. You want to spend mommy and daddy's money on the horn that's the least out of tune. Right. The one that actually plays the best in tune that has a bore size that you're comfortable with that because that's all about feel, you know, because if you've uh, learned the knack of being able to play into the upper register and playing up a double high C, well, you can do that on a garden hose. Uh, the, 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 what trumpet <laughs> right. you're playing right. at that point really doesn't make that much of a difference. The, the, the kind of trumpet you should be buying is the one that works the best in the cash register. Right. And the register from low C to high C, play the one that is that you go through all the standard fingerings, all the false fingerings and everything and see how well that horn plays in tune, how responsive it is. And that's the horn that you should be spending your parents money on. You know, not when at the Midwest Conference and the ITG, let's see how high we can play on the horn. It's like, first of all, nobody else wants to hear you sing how high you can play on the horn. Or play the same jazz lick. Or over and over and over and over. Why don't you get a tuner and see where this horn is at? You know, because when it comes down to it, the money you're going to be making is at like uh, on gigs that maybe nothing is even written above a high C. You know, right. it's very rarely do you see anything even going up to an A, you know. So um, thank goodness. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, it, believe me, I still enjoy playing high notes when it's the right thing. To right. do, and it's and, and I can pull them out of my back pocket, and believe me, they're there. I mean, but it's like as far as working is concerned and pleasing the band leader, you go on to a job not saying how can I stand out. You go into a job saying what can I do to make this band sound good mm-hmm. and make that band leader like me so that maybe he'll hire me again for the next gig. Right. You go in because you, you're providing a service. Hello, I'm your trumpet player for this evening. What can I do for you? What would you like for me? You know, be versatile and be able to provide a service. It's like you're renting me for the evening. I'm a trumpet player. Uh, you know, you're supposed to know what you're doing. You're supposed right? to know how to play all the trumpets. You know, my business card says all trumpets, all styles. It's, it's yeah. because since I got off the road, I've expanded my mm-hmm. horizons i i've played with a brass band some symphonies now i'm learning all my excerpts i'm still working on these excerpts and believe me i'm not i'm not considering auditioning for the cso but i'm a well-rounded trumpet player right. and in certain situations i can get by and give you what you want in yep. in an area that i'm not well known for you know i i want to come to that first concert where you play petrushka i well, want to hear I, it that's more of my practice uh, 
I know. You know, Stravinsky, man. It's like, you know, and I, you know, I recorded the Ebony Concerto uh, with Woody's band and Richard oh. Stoltz you know, was a soloist. And I know where Stravinsky is coming from. And, you know, when you just see it on paper, I said, well, that looks easy. easy. Try playing it. It's those intervals. Right. That, it'll nail you every time. And it's right. like, oh, man, you mother. That's, <laughs> that's, that's Stravinsky, dude, man. That, that yeah. crazy guy, you know. Yeah. Hey, Roger. Um, we're going to have, we're going to pick this up again. And I, I want to say, thank you. You know, I, I had an interview we did, uh, I think it was October and, uh, you, you gave that a listen a couple days ago and said, nah, and, well, and I'm glad, and I'm glad you did because tonight, I think tonight I, made up. I, I knew that, that was so. going to piss you off, but you know, the thing is it was recorded so long ago and we were all in the doldrum yeah. of the pandemic well, and it was kind of like, man, that's gone. No, it's not. It's not gone. I, I'm never throwing that away. It's it's. Well, well listen to it for yourself. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, don't worry. It's 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 not going to make it out there. Um, at least not while you're alive. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I well, what makes that. you think that uh, I'm going to die before you? Oh yeah, right. Oh. I mean, I mean, there's always you know that. something I don't. Yeah, right. You know, you got to consider. You got to look at all angles, man. You know. So here's, it's not going to happen before August 4th, because now I'm planning to come up there uh, August 4th to hear you guys play. I think that, that, uh, the going to be a blast. The Kansas right. City Suite with the Heritage Jazz Orchestra, yeah. man. I'm yeah. telling you, I mean, this is the third one we've done. So, you know, the last two went well. Yeah. You know. And uh, so, you know, I mean, but I, I would like to see all the local people come to the, uh, the uh, I'll say it one more time. I'm going to take, you know, you can't be shy to, pr to promote yourself. There's nothing wrong with a little self-promotion. That's right. The Because uh, no one else is going to do it for me. Believe me. No one else is going to promote you. You got to put it out there. You can't be a billboard in the middle of the desert, you know. The Pete Elman Big Band for Pete's Ache, the uh, CD <coughs> release party, and it's a concert with the band. We're, we're giving a whole big concert. It's at the um, <clears throat> uh, it's at the venue, and um, what's the name of the venue? It's called the venue. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, just, I, I was just messing with you on that one. Here we are, record release party, the venue slash Monday Park. It's called the venue Monday Park. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the way Pete sent it to me in email. It's in Aurora, Illinois. It's Thursday, July 15th. That's his coming Thursday at 8 yeah. o'clock p.m. And the address is 21 South Broadway, Aurora, Illinois. And the special guest is Isabella Isherwood, who's a, a great vocalist. And it's celebrating the release of this record that was released last fall. But now we can actually have the official release party. Nice. And uh, it's it was released on my record company, 123 Records. And today is the release date of the Joshua Jern Jazz Orchestra lockdown. You know, so I got all this stuff coming up, all these yeah. record projects that I've been involved in in the last year. I mean, because during the pandemic, I did a lot of recording. Uh, this this lockdown album was recorded during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I mean, we recorded it, uh, um, uh, Freddie Breitberg's the engineer. And so we all recorded from different places, but he's such a great engineer. He put it together. So it just sounds like that's that, amazing. They can do that. Right. That consistency 
in the sound of all the tracks, it sounds like we're in the same studio. Yeah. yeah. And it's really a, it's really a fabulous record. So, you know, so, you know, keep your ears open for Joshua journey. He's, he's coming up there, man. A great trumpet player and a great writer. Uh, you're a great trumpet player and a great guest and a good friend. And I, I really appreciate the, the fact that I know you, you know, I can, and, uh, we can get together like this, Roger. This well, and in the words of Wayne Bergeron, man, I'm just trying to make a living. Yeah. You know, every yeah. time I see Wayne, I say, Hey Wayne, how you doing? He goes, just trying to make a living. And I say, are you working? And, and then he says, yeah, are you working? And I'm like, yeah. You know, cause when we were kids, that's all we wanted to do was work. We just wanted to be able to make a living doing this, you know? Right. And so, uh, so it, it, I'm, I'm really flattered that you would ask me to be on here. I know I'm kind of a chatterbox. You know, I, you know look, would I have it any other way? Would, yeah. do, you think I, do you think I would want to sit here and, and try to pull every, every answer out of you? Come on, Roger, say something. And, no, and, this... you know, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm promoting a lot of the stuff I'm on, but it's, it's good stuff. It is good stuff. The books are good books. I play the, you know, I play a, the 1600i exo brass B flat trumpet made by the Jupiter band instrument company. Oh yeah, you for, you almost forgot to plug Jupiter. That's right. Well, you know, there you go. It's like it's like if you have an opportunity to do these interviews, and this is about the tenth one I've done in the last six months. You know, um, yeah, and and the reason why I'm telling you about it, it's a great horn. Yeah. I love this horn. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, I appreciate the, that you, you, I appreciate you letting me come on here and talk, you know, and, and anytime and go on and go anytime, blah, blah, blah. anytime. And as long as Vicky shows up, that's great. You know, that's, no. she's just got to make a cameo now and then. Hey, <laughs> I, I want to give, uh, uh, thanks to everybody that's, that's chimed in. Uh, Ryan, of course, John, uh, David, Rich, uh, and there's some really nice comments. And of course, Noel, Tredit Gosling. Noel, Noel and I played a session today at a, at a studio here in Indy. Um, ah. and she is, she is just one of the nicest people, an, an amazing violinist musician. And, uh, but she says, uh, give Vicky a hug. See, and more people are interested in, in Vicky. Oh, I'm not. Right? These conferences are like, Hey Roger. Hey Vicky, how are you right. doing? Right. Uh, they're like interested. And I'm yeah. like, fine. So one of these days you got to let me interview you. And, and see what's going on down there in India. I'll tell you, I'm so proud of you and this thing that you've done with all these interviews. And I get your emails, oh, every single one of them. That's a wonderful service that you're providing for not just trumpet players, but musicians around the world. I mean, the, the some of these interviews are just classics, man. You know, some of wow. the information that I get from these people. And so my hat's off to you. Bravo. Larry. Wow. I'm, I'm almost speechless, Roger. That's I that's. I, I am speechless. Thank you. I, yeah. I can say thank you. I, a, I I'll have a, to say I I love doing this. You know, I yeah. love just sitting here and smiling. You know, my mouth, my face hurts. I smile so much through all of this. You know, <laughs> but well, hey, listen, uh, I hope I hope we get to play together again someday. Well, uh, I'll be there tomorrow. Ten o'clock. Well, well, Ten o'clock. So, <laughs> at least I'm Thursday, kidding. right? Okay. Well. Okay, so hang on a second. I'm going to sign off here, and, and we'll go for just another minute after this. We'll wrap up. But uh, I will say, again, thanks to everybody that's uh, checked in on this. Uh, always great to have people listening in and watching, especially. I love being able to watch now. Um, YouTube channel, uh, the podcast platform. Of course, you can go to studiohfl.com. And appropriately, the HFL stands for Here From Legends, right? Some people mm -hmm. thought it was Here From Larry. 
but it's here from that's Legends. That's what I thought it was. No, it's here from Legends. All right. uh, and actually, it used to be Higher, Faster, Louder. That was the original, Higher, Faster, Louder, but yeah. it got rid of that. Well, good. So anyways, uh, thanks, everybody, for, for being here. Roger, hang on for like two seconds. Everybody, we'll see you next time. Bye.